The story of the story of Yosef HaTzadik interpreting the dreams of the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Ofim yields some incredible lessons for us that are very shy to this time of year. When we take a look at the dreams, we see virtually identical dreams, as we're going to explain in a moment. And yet, the interpretation of those dreams seems to be radically different. So let's take a quick look at the dreams, just to analyze them very carefully. And then from there, we can start to examine what differences were there in the dreams that led to Yosef HaTzadik interpreting them so differently. So Sar Mashkim says, In my dream, behold, there was a vine before me. And on the vine there were three tendrils, and they seemed to be blossoming, and the buds came out, and then the clusters ripened into grapes. And Paro's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and squeezed them into Paro's cup, and I placed the cup onto Paro's palm. That's the dream of the Sarah Mashkim. And Yosef HaTzadik interprets the dream as follows. He says, the three tendrils are three days. And in three days' time, this is what's going to happen. In another three days, Paro will number you with other officers, and he's going to restore you to your previous position. And he's going to place Paro's cup into his hand, according to your previous custom, when you were his cupbearer. So Yosef Atzadi gives a positive interpretation for the dream. Everything is going to be fine. You're going to be restored to your previous position. And you're going to do exactly what you always did. The Sarah Ofim comes along and he says, Vayar Sarah Ofim Kitov Pater. The Sarah Ofim saw that Yosef interpreted the Sarah Mashkim's dreams for good. And he said, So too for me, me too, interpret my dreams. And the Sarah Ofim says, In my dream there were three wicker baskets on my head. And in the topmost basket were all kinds of Paro's foods, the work of a baker, and the birds were eating them from the basket on top of my head. And Yosef interprets this dream completely differently from the Sarah Mashkim. He says, The three baskets just like the three tendrils in the grapes, represent three days. So in three days' time, what's going to happen? Paro is going to remove your head from you and hang you on a gallows, and the birds will eat the flesh off of you. So we have two dreams with two radically different interpretations. The Sarah Mashkim will be restored to his previous position. The Sarah Ofim is going to have the flesh eaten from him. Why does Yosef interpret the dreams so differently, especially when we take a look at the dreams? When we look at the actual content of the dreams, they appear to be exactly the same. So in in both cases, you'll see on the board, I wrote this down, there were three clusters of grapes and there were three wicker baskets. They seem to be exactly the same. In each case, we're dealing with the specialty of the person we're talking about. The Sarah Mashkim naturally dreams of grapes. The Sarah Ofim dreams of bread in a basket above his head. And finally, in each one, the person themselves is present in the dream. The Sarah Mashkim is in the dream, and the Sarah Ofim is in the dream. So when the dreams appear to be exactly the same, why is it that Yosef HaTzadik interprets these dreams so differently? That's one question that we need to ask tonight. That's our first question. The second question is as follows. The only difference that we could see that somehow seems to play some relevance here, but we don't know exactly what it is yet, it is, yet is the Sarah Mashkim goes first. 
and he offers his dream up to Yosef HaTzadik, and Yosef interprets it. The Sara'ofim, when he comes to have his dream interpreted, what does he say? He says, Afani, me too. Interpret my dream as well. Now, I don't yet know what the difference is and why this makes a difference, but it's the only discernible difference right now. In the dreams themselves, the dreams seem to be exactly the same. As we'll see, it's not exactly true. But on the outside, the dreams appear to be exactly the same. The only difference, at least in the story itself, is that the Sarha Ophim, when he asks to have his dream interpreted, he says, interpret my dream as well. What's the significance of the fact that the Sarah Ophim says, me too, I also went in on this. What's the difference over here? And finally, there's one difference that is almost, I'll, I'll say this, I don't mean it like this, but there's almost a cynical use of language in the Pasuk. If you look at the Pasuk from the Sarah Mashkim, Yosef HaTzadik says, Yisa paro esro shecha. Yosef says, Paro will lift up your head, meaning you're going to be restored to your previous position. But when Yosef speaks to the Sarha Ophim, he uses the same exact language with one major difference. He says, Yisa Paro Esro Shecha, Me'alecha. Paro will lift up your head from off you. Do you hear the difference? In other words, to the Sarah Mashkim, what does Yosef Hatzadik say? Yisa paro esroshecha. Paro will lift up your head. To the Sarah Ophim, he says, Yisa paro esroshecha. Paro will lift your head. Me'alecha. From right off your head. From right off your shoulders. So there's like a, a fascinating parallel that you see here. Obviously, Yosef Atzadik is drawing our attention to the fact that each one of these dreams appear to be exactly the same. Each one of them will be lifted up, but one of them will be restored to his previous position and the other will be decapitated. And that's exactly what happens. So that's our final, those are our three questions for tonight. The first question is, why does Yosef interpret the dreams so differently when they appear to be exactly the same? The second thing is, the only discernible difference that we can see is that Yosef Atadik, when he speaks to the Sara'ofim, the Sara'ofim says, Afani, me too, interpret my dreams as well. What's the significance of that? And finally, why does Yosef use this cynical type of language, Yisa paro esro shecha, me'alecha. He'll lift up your head from upon you. Why does Yosef Atadik call us to, to, to compare these two dreams? One of them you'll be restored, the other you'll have your head lifted off your shoulders. So listen to the words of the Dubna Magid. There's a number of people that we're going to be quoting from tonight. Each one of them is beautiful. Each one of them contains similar ideas but ideas that are so gorgeous, so, so worth opening your heart to. They're such amazing, incredible ideas, especially for our generation. So the Dubna Magid, to explain this question, tells the following mushal. And that's what the Dubna Magid always did. The Dubna Magid always used a mushal to explain what was going on. Listen to the mushal of the Dubna Magid. There was once a very famous painter. And this painter was known to be able to make the most life-like paintings that, that ever existed. And if, if you saw his paintings, it was almost like you were seeing reality itself. Not like today where a person 
cuts themselves, bleeds onto a canvas, sticks a banana peel on there, and you know, sells it for a million dollars in the Metropolitan Museum of Art because it's the plight of the homeless as they bleed out onto the canvas. This was an actual artist who could tell you, who could show you what life was actually like. So the artist is commissioned by the king to paint something exceptionally realistic. And he paints a man with a bread basket on his head. And the painting is so exceptionally lifelike. It's so real, it's so authentic, that when, the, when they brought the painting out for people to see, birds would swoop down in an attempt to eat the bread off of the canvas. And the king was so pleased with his painting. It's so lifelike, it's so real, it's so authentic. He said, I defy anyone to find any flaw in this painting. And anyone that could find a flaw in this painting, I'll give them a fortune of money. And so people came from all over the land and they would examine it with a magnifying glass and they could not find one brush stroke that was off. Every single aspect of the painting was 100% perfect. And nobody could get the fortune, nobody got the prize until one elderly man came and he said to the king, there's not just one flaw, there's a major flaw that makes this painting totally unrealistic. And he whispered in the king's ear, and the king nodded, and he handed over the fortune of money to this elderly man. What had the elderly man said? The elderly man said, if the painting was so lifelike, if it was so real, if it was so authentic, then the man himself would have been completely alive to those birds. And if the birds saw that the man was alive, they never would have swooped down to take the bread off of his head because they would have been afraid of the person. It's like if you have a scarecrow, right, in a field. The birds, in theory, are supposed to be afraid of the scarecrow until they realize that it's not a person, and it prevents the birds from coming. If the person himself was so lifelike, then the birds themselves wouldn't swoop down to eat the bread. The fact that the birds are looking at this painting and saying, I think that we could eat that bread, tells us that the birds themselves saw the bread as real, but the man wasn't. And so there's a contradiction in the painting. On the one hand, the bread is so real to them. On the other hand, the man is so not real to them. And of course, the nimshal is as follows. The Dubna Magid says, Yosef Atzadik, this is just the beginning of our jump into this. Yosef Atzadik hears two dreams. In one dream, the Saramashkim is telling his story that he's holding the cup. And he brings it to Paro. That seems to be that he's alive. But in the second dream, in the dream of the Saraofim, what does he say? Look carefully, at the, look carefully at the dream again. Listen to what he says. He says, in my topmost basket were all kinds of food for Paro, the work of a baker. Meaning, what did he have in his upper basket? He had all of these delicious breads. And in that basket, he said, what happened? In that basket, birds were coming down and eating from on top of the basket. Says the Dubna Magid, why in his dream were the birds coming? If he was alive in his dream, then the birds wouldn't be swooping down to take the bread from his basket. The fact that, they, that he saw in his own dream that the birds were coming down to eat the bread from on top of his head meant what? That obviously if the, bread, if the birds are coming down, 
the man in the dream cannot be alive. Because if the man in the dream was alive, then the birds never would have come down. Do you understand the genius of Yosef HaTzadik's interpretation of the dream? In the dream of the Saramashkim, he's clearly alive. It looks to be the same exact dream, but when you analyze it carefully, says the Dubna Magid, when you analyze the dream carefully, you'll see it must be that in the second dream, in the dream of the Sara Ophim, that he is dead, because otherwise the birds wouldn't swoop down. Which means as follows, and this is the beginning of our shear. This dream is not about, for us, it's not about a Sarah Mashkim and it's not about a Sarah Ophim. That's not what the dream is about. This dream is for us. There are two dreams. The dreams are as follows. There are people that are dreaming and they're alive. And there are people that are dreaming and they're dead. Two dreamers in this world. Everyone in this room is a dreamer. Everyone's having a dream. But in some of our dreams, we're alive. And in some of our dreams, you may not realize this. But in some of our dreams, we're dead. Everyone's having a dream. If you're a human being, you're dreaming. There's no such thing as someone who doesn't dream. Everyone dreams. People dream at night. People dream during the day. One of my favorite things to see. Unfortunately, we don't get to see it as much anymore because everyone's on their phones. But it used to be that before people were on their phones, it used to be that people would space out. And one of the most beautiful things to see in Sheer is you're sitting and giving Sheer and you'll see a kid, a girl, a guy, whoever it is, whatever age, and they're in the back of the classroom or the front of the classroom or the middle of the classroom, doesn't matter where they are, and you see them and they are far, far away. You ever see somebody's face when they're far away? Would you like to see what it looks like from my perspective? This is what you look like when you space out. <laughs> And there's a moment, one of my favorite moments, when people snap back into reality. Would you like to see what it's like? It goes like this. It's, and they travel, you see, thousands of miles in the span of a moment. Would you like to see what it looks like? They go like this. They go. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's just, it's just they came back. They have to make a tefillah saderech. They just traveled thousands of miles. They have to make Agomo. They crossed many, many seas. They traveled in time. They were 10 years ago. They were 10 years from now. You see a girl in Sheer. You think she's paying attention. I know she's not. This is what she looks like. She looks like this to me. And I know what she's thinking. What will my family look like? What will it look like by my chuppah? Who is my chassan? They're traveling back in time. The summer after, yeah, I, this is what I do to bring people back, yeah? <laughs> They're traveling back in time. They're sitting in a shear. You know where they are? Summer after 10th grade. That's where they are. Summer after 10th grade. They're like this. They're like, I, I kind of regret it, but it was kind of awesome. <laughs> but I know I'm going to have to pay for it later. Berg's giving a shear now. Wait, 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 and they come right back, right? You ever sit and dream to yourself? What would it have been like if in ninth grade I made this decision and not that decision? What would life have been like if I was popular in high school? What would life be like? Welcome back. What would life be like if I was 10 years from now, living in Yerushalayim, Mera Kodesh? You have all sorts of different... What would life be like if I marry somebody who's fabulously wealthy and I'm a big balas tataka? What would it be like if I'm hosting parlor meetings at my house, right? Everyone has the dream that they're having. The only question is... 
in that dream, are you alive or are you dead? Chava, we lost dreams. We lost dreams because today, why should I dream? If I can have somebody put a screen on in front of me, then I don't need to imagine reality anymore because the, the screen imagines reality for me. That's the godless of books. The godless of books is two people could be reading the same book and they envision the main character completely differently. In fact, I venture to say that when the author describes the main character, it doesn't even matter to you. If the author describes the main character as he was blonde, but in your head he's got, no, he's, he's brown hair, this guy, I, I know. That's what it is. Because you're not even reading the words. The book is just a vehicle to your imagination. But you can't do that when you're watching a show. When you're watching a show, they tell you, this is the person. So we lost dreams. It's chaval, we lost dreams. But still, even so, we dream from time to time. That's why Tomer Devorah has a policy, no phones. They have a policy, no phones, because they want you to daydream. Some girls are still on their phones. But there's whatever, there's, there's a, uh, not so much today, but only one or two of you. Yeah? But I'm trying to get those girls to pay attention. Yeah, I, I care about every... I'm like a great mechanic. That's what my gaiva tells me. Yeah, I'm a great... So I care about the two girls that are on their phones right now. It's not true. It's just very distracting to me personally. I wish I could say it was coming from a good place. But as one young lady told me from Shanabet, clearly you're triggered by this, Rebberg. So thank you very much for letting me know that. Yeah? Chaval, chaval that we lost dreams. So what's the difference? How do you know if you are alive or dead in your dream? I'd like to share with you. Listen to this vart. This is a vart, unbelievable vart. It's a vart, well, it's from Uvlebele Eger, eventually. But I want to point out a couple of differences here. The first way to know if you are alive or dead in your dreams is ask yourself, in your dream, are you active or are you passive? In the dream of the Saramashkim, listen to the dream, what does it say? In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three tendrils. And it seemed to be blossoming, and the buds came out, and its clusters ripened to grapes. And Paro's cup was in my hand. And listen to what he does. And I took the grapes, and I squeezed them into Paro's cup, and I placed the cup in Paro's hand. How does Yosef Atzadik know that the Sarah Mashkim is alive? Because he's alive in his dream. He's an active player in the dream. If you take a look at the dream of the Sarah Ophim, you'll see he does absolutely nothing in the dream. Look at his dream again. Listen to the words of the dream. He says, there were three wicker baskets. They were on my head. How'd they get there? It doesn't say. And in the topmost basket, there were all types of baked goods. How did those baked goods get there? It doesn't say. And the bird is eating them from atop my head. What did the Sarah Ophim do in this dream? Do you want to know the litmus test of whether or not you are alive or you're dead, ask yourself, am I actively pursuing my dreams or am I passively pursuing my dreams? Only somebody who is active is considered alive. And that's the, big, that's the, big, that's the biggest move we're going to make in today's year. If you are a passive person in life, you're dead. Everyone is in some form of a prison in their lives. Everyone has some Mitzrayim in their lives that constricts them and restricts them. But there are people that say, look, what can I do? This is my reality now. And they're passive. They go through life passively. They don't own anything. They just say, this is who I am now. What can I, what can I do? And then there are people that in their dreams, stuck in a prison, 
Everyone is in some sort of prison. But what do they imagine? They imagine, what will I do with my life? Such a person is still considered alive. I want to give you an example of this. I want to tell you two quick stories to illustrate this point. They're amazing stories. They're true stories. The first story we'll say is about somebody who's alive. I may have said this story before, but it bears repeating a million times. There's an organization called Bone Olam. You've heard of the organization called Bone Olam? Bone Olam is an organization that helps people with fertility. And there are women and men that get married and they struggle with fertility issues. It's an exceptionally painful process. To go for sometimes years without having children, we cannot imagine the pain of what that's like. And so there's this incredible organization that you can call them up and they can tell you who the best doctors are and they can get you the best guidance and they can get you the best medical attention and into the best laboratories and everything that's needed in order to help you have children. And since the inception of Bone Olam, over 8,000 children have been born. Millions upon millions upon millions of dollars of tzedakah have been collected and over 8,000 children have been born since Bone Olam started their holy work. How did Bone Olam start? It's an exceptionally painful story. Bone Olam was started by a family, the Bachners, Sadikin. The Bachners, unfortunately, do not have children. They went from doctor to doctor, from laboratory from laboratory. Everything they did, they could not have kids. They just couldn't do it. Finally, the very last appointment. This is the appointment with the doctor who's going to tell them maybe there's still hope or it's over. Could you imagine what the Bachners were doing on that drive over to that doctor? Their dreams are about to be either kept alive or destroyed. That's quite the prison that they're living in. And they went to the doctor. And the doctor said to them, we've reached the end of the line. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to have children. And that's it. Dream dead. Dream over. The Bachners have never had children. And in the car ride back, after that doctor's appointment, Rebetzin Bachner turns to her husband and she says, Okay, the Rabbana Shalom said no to us. The question is, what do we do now? And she decided right then and there, in that car ride, she said, I have expertise in all of the areas around fertility. We've seen every doctor, we know every treatment, we know every lab. I'm going to start an organization that's designed to help people have children. She started it in the car ride on the way back from being told by the doctor that she's never going to have kids. She said, the last 20 years of my life have not been in vain. The last 20 years of my life have been leading me to this moment. I have all this knowledge. I'm going to share it with everybody. And that's how Bone Olam started. From a car ride where she was told no, over 8,000 children, over 8,000 Jewish children have been born. Do you know how many invitations the Bachners get to bar mitzvahs, to bat mitzvahs, to brises, to shalom zachers, to pidyon abens, to weddings, to weddings already, of children that were only born because they decided in their prison, I am not going to choose a life of passivity. I'm going to choose what to do with my pain. I'm going to be active. I'm going to be alive. They weren't just dreaming. They were alive. 
They said to the Panovich Arav, Zechatzadak when he was telling people about his dreams of rebuilding Bnei Brak and of rebuilding Yeshivas Panovich, they said, Rebbe, you're a dreamer. And the Panovich Arav said, yes, but I'm wide awake. Some people have dreams and they're shlufadik. They're dead. They're passive. A person has a dream. You say, what are you going to do about it? They go, there's nothing really I can do. I'm stuck in this prison. I'm stuck in this family. I don't have any money. It's hard to get a shidduch. They're stuck. They're stuck. They're passive people. Some people have dreams and they're alive. One of my closest friends in the world is Dr. Jonathan Donath, who was my roommate when I was Shanabet. And we've maintained the relationship, Baruch Hashem, now for over 20 years. And a couple of years ago, John Donath calls me up and he goes, I have a dream. The dream is for every single Jew to give a dollar a day to stuck. And since that time, and keeping his chiropractor practice, practice, he does it on nights and weekends and early mornings and any break he gets for no money. John Donath has now raised over $17,000 a day, coming up on $18,000 a day. That's millions and millions and millions of dollars of stucca every single year because he had a dream. I'm going to give a dollar every single day to stucca and I'm going to get everybody to give a dollar with me. He's awake. He's alive. There are people that they dream, ah, I'm going to do, I'm going to do so much. And then you always have the guy who comes to yeshiva. And he's got big dreams, and this year is going to be the year. Just like many of you girls. You came to Tomer Devar, you came to Shalayim Yerakodesh, and you had dreams, remember? Remember when you were being interviewed last year in February, remember that? Or January, whatever it is for the girls? Remember that you sat down with Rabbi Fix or Mrs. Trank, and you had to be on her status? Remember that whole matzav? And they asked you that, 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 that question that everybody asks. What do you want to accomplish in your year in Israel? And even though you answered the standard answer that everybody answers and you weren't authentic and you didn't really respond in a deep way for most of us, most of us just said the standard thing like, yeah, I really want to grow. You know, like some sort of like part of a thing. I really want to grow. What does grow mean? Doesn't matter. Sem 70. Grow could be in a lot of different ways, right? I just have to keep you awake. I want to grow. You have guys in yeshiva. I, every time I go for an interview, the guys in yeshiva, what do, you want to do with your, what do you want to do with your year in Israel? Well, right now I don't want to, but I want to want to. I don't know if I want to want to, but I want to want to want to want to. I don't know if I want to want to want to, but I want to want to want to want to. I just really want to be inspired. You know what that means when a guy says, I want to be inspired? It could either mean one of two things. Either he's alive and he's looking for inspiration and he's going to every shear and he's taking notes and he's following up with the Rebbe and he's asking a question and he's making chabrusa. And then you have guys that go, <laughs> I'll tell you the best way I ever heard it in my entire life. A dear friend of mine, many years ago, we used to go to hear every single Shabbos Shuva and Shabbos HaGadol, and many other times, we would run to hear of Moshe Weinberger Shlito, the Rav of Eish Kodesh and Woodmere. We would run to hear the Rebbe speak, because the Rebbe's speeches are unbelievable, they're so inspiring. And so Shabbos Shuva, because the Rebbe's Joshua is so inspiring, they give it on Matzai Shabbos to give a chance from everyone from all over the place to come. And you got to come early so that you can get a seat. So right after Shabbos, me and my friend Avi, we run in the car and we park by the, uh, the gas station on Matzai Shabbos. Nobody's there by the gas station. It's a good place to park. And we get there and we get really good seats right up front so that we're going to be able to see the Rebbe. And this friend of mine, Avi, he's hysterically funny. He sits down in his chair and he leans back and he goes, Okay, Weinberger inspire me. <laughs> and obviously I burst out laughing. It was like one of the funniest things and it was classic Avi. He's an amazing man. 
But how many of us are showing up to Sem going, okay, Tomer Devora, inspire me. <laughs> That's not the way this works. That's passive. That's dead. If you're sitting here and it's Hanukkah time and you're asking yourself, I know what I had in my heart. I know what I had in my heart. Have I done it yet? Maybe I haven't been active enough. Maybe I can't sit back and wait for my dreams to come to me. Because if they're your dreams, then you chase them with all of your heart. Those people are alive. We live in a world of dead people walking. You see it all over the place. I'm not, I'm not here to pick on technology. But it used to be that people could ride the bus in Yerushalayim. And they would sit there. And they didn't necessarily have a sefer. And they didn't necessarily have a phone. And they weren't necessarily listening to music. They just dreamed. It was a beautiful thing. A bus full of dreamers. Hayinu kechomim. We're like dreamers. That's what it's going to be like in Yemosa Mashiach. We're going to be tapped into our dreams. We're going to look back and everything and say, Ah, all of the dreams that we had, all of those dreams came to reality in Olam Abba. Now today everyone's plugged in. Nobody gets to dream anymore. Nobody gets to daydream. Nobody has hopes and aspirations. And even if they do, in their dreams, they're just sitting there as the victim of circumstance. Rabbi, what do you want from me? I wasn't gifted with the, with the ability to sit in base medrash. I have all the letters, Rabbi. I have ADHD and all the different letters that they could give me. They threw, the, they threw the letters at me and they threw the medicine at me. What do you want? I can't learn. It's not true. Just because you have letters doesn't mean that you're incapable in life. Some people, they know how to have letters and they say, that's a superpower. That's not, that's not a deficiency, that's a superpower. You know, people with ADHD also have this gift called hyperfocus. People don't know what ADHD thing is. They think ADHD is you can't focus. No, ADHD is you could focus on a million things. ADHD is you're in the middle of writing a paper and then a squirrel walks by the window and three hours later you're the world's expert on squirrels. <laughs> People think it's like, oh, I was doing this and then this and then this and then this. No, 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 no. ADHD, you have the capacity to hyper-focus. It's just a question of harnessing it. But some people are victims of their letters and some people know that their letters are superpowers. That's the first difference. Another difference, and this is from Rav Leibel Eger, and if you came to Eretz Yisrael just for this, it's worth it. It's worth it. An unbelievable vart. Listen to what Rav Leibel Eger says. When did the fly come into Paro's cup? The whole reason that the Sarah Mashkin was in jail was because a fly landed his cup, and Paro saw a fly in his cup. I have a question. When did the fly land? Everyone always assumes it's when the Sarah Mashkim had it, and then he gave it to Paro. Is that true? We don't know when it landed. Maybe the Sarah Mashkim did everything perfectly. And then, right after he handed it to Paro, Paro blinked, boop, the fly went into Paro's cup. Maybe the Sarah Mashkim did nothing wrong. He does bless her, you should know. I love the brachos, but he does bless her. The Sarah Ophim, the pebble was in the bread. When did the pebble get into the bread? The flour was there, right? You sift the flour. You're supposed to sift out what? The pebble. You're supposed to make sure that there's no pebble there. So one thing we know for sure. The Sarah Mashkim, we don't know when the fly landed. Maybe it landed beforehand and maybe the Sarah Mashkim should have caught it. Or maybe it landed afterwards. But we know for sure that the, somehow a rock ended up in this bread. The Sarah Ophim has some level of responsibility here. So listen to what Avlebele Eger says. Avlebele Eger says... Look at what the Sarah Mashkim does. He's dreaming of the vines growing. He's dreaming of the grapes sprouting. He's dreaming of squeezing the grapes to produce the wine and serving the wine to Paro. In other words, the Sarah Mashkim says, I don't know if I slipped up or not. 
But if I did, I'm going to replay this scene over and over in my head to make sure that when I get the chance to do it right, I'm going to nail it. The Sarah Ofim, we never see anything like that. The Sarah Ofim isn't concerned at all with the process. He says, the loaves are in the basket, they're ready to be served. He doesn't dream about the process of bread baking. He never considered what went wrong. I'm going to try to make this relevant to, to girls. I don't know if it's going to work. If it doesn't work, please forgive me. I just don't know necessarily enough about your world, but I'll try to like make it somewhat relevant. I'll start with the muscle from the guys. This way maybe you'll understand where I'm trying to go with this. If a guy has a big basketball game, you know what he does the entire day before the game? Maybe even a week before the game? He plays the game in his head. You know that? And he imagines himself in the gym. And he imagines all of his boys in the stands. And his parents are there. And maybe his cousins came to the game. And he imagines all the rival fans. He imagines himself sitting on the foul line. It's basketball, by the way. He imagines himself sitting on the foul line with three seconds left in the game. And they're down one. And he's got two shots. And he hits the first one. He even imagines it. How it bounces around and then it falls in. And now it's the second shot. He sees himself breathing. He dribbles three times. He flips the ball in his hands. And he releases swoosh. And they get the ball with two seconds left. And they try to inbounds it. And he knocks it away. He's the hero. And everyone is like all over him, lifting him up. He won the game for the team. By the way, that guy who's imagining that might be the like eighth or ninth guy on the team who maybe sees two minutes of the game. But he's living it in his head over and over again. It's real to him. And when that happens, by the way, when you have that moment in the game, it's almost like it's familiar. Right? When that pass is being made, it's like I've dreamed of this moment before. I'm ready for it. I'm prepared for it. And so he knows to jump in the lane to get that steal. And he sees the defender coming over. So he makes a behind-the-back pass just in time to get it to that person who goes in for the layup. He's dreamed that dream a thousand times. So when it happens on the court, he's already ready for it. I imagine that for girls, it's something like this. It's the big night of production. See, I'm failing at this already. I'm trying my best. I don't know what you girls do. You're a future manicurist. You're a future manicurist. You're a future... Yeah. You're, a, you're imagining yourself as a speech therapist, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a water therapist, an art therapist. A music therapist, a therapist therapist, right? And which type of therapist? An IFS therapist, a CBT therapist, right? It's the big day of the production. You see yourself on stage. People who are alive prepare for great moments. People who are dead just imagining great moments having, happening to them. You want to know who the great player is? Yeah. People who are alive, they dream of preparing for great moments. People who are dead imagine themselves having great moments, not preparing for great moments. They imagine great moments happening to them. It's a huge difference. If you find yourself dreaming about what can I do to do this better? Okay, I made a mistake. What can I do to do this better? That's awesome. You're alive. You're preparing yourself for a great moment. The Saramashkim says, I don't know if I messed up or not, but I want to dream this over and over again in my head. I want to imagine it into reality so that when it comes time for me to serve Paro, oh man, I'm going to nail it. 
The Sarah Ofim just imagines great moments happening to him. He's there, bread is on his head. He didn't do anything to make that bread. He didn't put it on his head. The birds are swooping down. He's done nothing to prepare for that moment. He's just having a great moment happen to them. And finally, last but not least, the difference between the Sarah Mashkim and the Sarah Ofim is the Sarah Mashkim cares about the process because he loves what he does. And the Sarah Ofim hates the process because he hates his job. He only cares about the results. The Saramashkim, he imagines himself squeezing the grapes. Why? Because I want to serve Paro. That's what he dreams. At the end of the day, what does he do? He puts the cup. He imagines himself coming to Paro with the cup and putting it in Paro's hands. The Saraofim, he doesn't care about Paro. Paro is not interesting to him. He just wants the accolades that come along with being the Saraofim. He doesn't care about Paro and he doesn't care about the process. Many, many years ago, I heard a shear from Rabbi Orlovsky. You girls know Rabbi Orlovsky? Yeah. He's very, very, very funny. And he spoke about what dreams you have. And he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a dentist. He said, but I never saw in my life somebody who their tombstone is a giant tooth. And on the tombstone it's inscribed, he filled cavities better than anyone else. You've got to love what you do. Some people love being a dentist. They really do. They love being a dentist. And you know what? Maybe they would have on their tombstone, when people were in pain, I healed their pain. I gave people, there's an orthodontist in my neighborhood, unfortunately he had to move back to America, but an amazing, amazing guy. His tagline was, we make smiles beautiful. If you ask this guy, do you love what you're doing? He goes, yeah, I love what I'm doing. I make people have a beautiful smile. You know, some people, they smile like this. You ever see people who smile like this? I smile like that because I had big buck teeth as a child and if you have big buck teeth everyone thinks it's funny to go do this for me do it do it (laughs) this is my relived trauma to keep you awake I'm glad that I could entertain you with the years of orthodontia that I had to go through some people they don't know how to smile an orthodontist can love what he does An accountant can love what he does, but do something that you love doing. If you do something in your life that's just like, I do it because I need to make money. It's it's like, it's crushing. The burden is crushing. This guy I know, he happens to be a very funny guy. He's a comedian on the side, and he's an accountant. Now, I don't know what you know about accountants, and I don't know who I'm about to offend, but comedian and accountant don't always go together. Like, if you know accountants and you know the jokes that they tell... They suck. Yeah, it's, well, that's a very nice way of saying it, sure, yeah. It's not exactly the type of people that do stand-up comedy, but this guy does stand-up comedy and he's really funny. And he told me that going to the office for him is, it's, it's a death sentence every day. And especially in the busy season, where he's working 15, 16 hours a day, he has a dream, but he's dead. He doesn't care about the process. All he wants is the paycheck. A person who's alive doesn't dream about the paycheck. The paycheck is just there to support the dream. Of course, we have to feed our families, of course. But I don't get paid, I hope. I don't, well, I happen not to get paid. But if you're not in Chinuch, let's say, you don't get paid because that's going to be something that's going to be able to feed your family. That's an important part of it. You get paid to give yourself permission to do the thing that you love. And unfortunately, we made this little box and we told all the from girls, go in that box. 
all do the same thing. You got to all do the same thing because you got to make money to live in the Jewish community. You know, you girls are exceptionally talented. You all have these amazing dreams. You have these amazing talents. You don't have to be what they tell you to be. Do the thing that you love to do. You'll figure out how to monetize it. But do the thing that you love to do. Enjoy the process, not just the result. It's an important part of being, of being a human being. Listen to what Yosef HaTzadik says to the, to what's called? Listen to what Yosef HaTzadik says to these two people. He says, for you, for you, Yisa Paro Esroshecha, Paro will lift up your head. And for you, Yisa Paro Esroshecha Me'alecha, he's going to lift up your head from upon you. And the Medrash says this is connected to Seuas Rosh Kol Adas Bnei Yisrael. All the way later in Vayikra, we're going to have the Pasuk, to count all the children of Klal Yisrael. And the Medrash says it's connected to Yosef HaTzadik. If you merit, you'll live. If you don't merit, you'll die. Listen to what the Medrash is teaching us. The Saramashkim was alive. He's a person who lifted up his head to be counted. He said, Hineni, here I am. I have what to contribute to this world. I'm active. I love the process. I imagine what it would be like to take responsibility for my actions. That's a person who's alive. You know what he's saying to the Sarah Ofim? Yisa paro es roshecha. Paro's going to lift up your head. Me'alecha. Because you're the type of person to lift up your head and go, why not me? Why isn't this happening to me? Why don't I get to have all these things? Because you never took these things for yourself. You never made it your life. Yosef Atadik is telling the Sarah Ofim, and he's telling every one of us. He's not just telling the Sarah Ofim. He's telling every one of us. Because the truth is, we don't need to know about the Sarah Ofim. All we need to know is that Yosef Atadik interpreted the dream of the Sarah Mashkim. And then eventually the Sarah Mashkim remembered him to Paro. And that's how Yosef Atadik got to be there at the very end. No, no, no. The Torah is speaking to us. There's a Sarah Mashkim. There's girls in this room that you're alive. Yisa paro You're going to be lifted up because you lifted up your head. And there are those that lift up their head like the Sarah Ophim and go, how come it doesn't happen to me? Why am I not being counted? And Yosef HaTzadik says, you'll be counted. Yisa paro me'alecha. If you stand up like that, you're already dead. You're not taking accountability for your life. You're not enjoying the process. You're not imagining what success looks like. You didn't stand up to be, to be great. You stood up to complain. There's a lot of that about, no? It's that time of year. I have no knowledge that anyone in this seminary is doing that. I'm just saying, in all the seminaries and in all the yeshivas, it's that time of year where people who aren't living out their dreams this year go, I just don't know if like, I'm getting what I need here. Like Maybe they should be doing more for me. Or maybe if I was in a different chevra. Or maybe if I was... right. That's just standing up and saying, how come nobody is doing it for me? That's not taking responsibility. That's not being alive. That's being dead. That's Yisa Paro or Shecha Me'alecha. You're standing up, but you're not standing up really to be counted. You're standing up to complain. Yosef Atzadik is punished with two extra years in prison because he tells the Saramashkim, remember me. That's so counterintuitive. The whole story of the Saramashkin that we just said is be active and take responsibility. So Yosef HaTzadik does exactly that. In fact, maybe we could even say that the reason that Yosef HaTzadik comes to the Saramashkin and says, remember me when you go to Paro, is because the message was for him. Yosef HaTzadik, get out of jail, be active, take responsibility. But there's an amazing lesson to be learned here, and we'll finish with this. And Muna is also called active. You know, there's a, there's a lot of... Uh, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, if you know what I'm saying. There's a lot of, anytime I speak about Amuna, there's a lot of, but what about Hishtablos? 
Anytime I speak about Ishtadlis, people don't come to me and go, but what about Amuna? Why is that? Why anytime I speak about Amuna, I'm going to get five girls who go, yeah, but what about Ishtadlis? And when I speak about Ishtadlis, people don't go to me. They go, but what about Amuna? How much Amuna do you have to have? I want to have more Amuna. How come it doesn't work on both sides of the aisle? Amuna is not passive. <laughs> Having Amuna that Hashem is going to work it out for you is also active. Yosef Atadik was in jail, and his job in jail was to give over his entire life to Hashem. The reason why Yosef was quote-unquote punished, which was really just the consequence of his action, the reason why Yosef was punished is because he got the message, he just interpreted it in the wrong way. He got a message from the Saramashkim, take responsibility for your life, you're in jail. Dream about what your life could be like. Isn't Yosef the Bala Halomos? Isn't he the ultimate dreamer? Everything in Yosef Atzadik's life is about dreams. He's sent down to Mitzrayim because of his dreams. So he's getting the message, be active. But he only made one small mistake. Amuna is not passive. Having Amuna that Hashem is going to make your dreams come true is not passive. It's not just optimism. Hope is not optimism. Hope is a way of seeing the world. Hope is the belief that life will certainly change. A person who has deep faith knows that life will certainly change. So Yosef Atzadik was in jail and he was dreaming the entire time. I can't wait to see how this story plays out because I know for sure the story is going to have a good ending because if it's not good, it's definitely not the end of the story. So Yosef Atzadik is rotting in an Egyptian jail. This is as low as it gets. He knew it was going to get better. His avoda was to be active, not in talking to the Saramashkim, in increasing his amuna. Hashem is going to take me out. Girls, this year, it's crazy to think about, only three more months to Purim. And after that, it's a quick, maybe week, that you have after that till Pesach. And then you have, what, six, seven weeks after Pesach? Crazy to see how time is going through the hourglass. The sand is going through. And for those who are in Shana even for those who just returned, or maybe especially for those who just returned, those sands girls, they keep going through the hourglass. What happened to your dreams? Are you alive? You're taking responsibility for your year? Do you love the process? Do you imagine what success looks like in an active way? Or are you letting this year just happen to you? Girls, have a wonderful Shabbos. Guys.